Sarah, it's wonderful to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. This is such a treat. This feels like we're kind of on Oprah, doesn't it? Look at us. I've always wanted to be on Oprah. It is such, such a joy to have you and Tom. Tell us a bit about Tom. He'll be speaking tomorrow at a seminar. Tell us a bit about Tom and what he'll be speaking on so we know what that seminar is going to be about. Yeah, tomorrow, so in the bodega, I think that's such a cool venue, um, Tom is going to be looking at um, what, what is the, the call of the church? Is it just to call people to us or has God planted a vision for us to transform cities? So in your places of work where God has called you, you know, Monday to Friday, what might he be stirring in you to transform in Pasadena, in Malibu, in Santa Monica? Um, And so Tom's going to be looking a little bit about um, kind of theologically where that comes from, but also what might the spirit be stirring? So don't miss it. It's going to be great. Amazing. So Sarah, let's go back to the beginning. (laughs) And I'd love to hear a bit more and share with our family here how you came to Christ. Tell us that, a bit about that story. Oh, well, um, can I just say before I dive into that, you know, Tom and I have the privilege of visiting quite a few churches up and down the UK um, and further afield. And God doesn't bring leadership like this, like Gare, like Lizzie, like Ben, like, like Chris, without a purpose that he has got to do here and you know it's just been amazing these last couple of days being here because we just feel God is doing something extraordinary and just really want to honor you and Lizzie and this amazing team you've got amazing pastors I hope you all know that really amazing um to answer your question sorry (laughs) um well maybe like some of you I didn't grow up in a Christian household um I grew up in a wonderful house. I'm, I'm the youngest daughter of four girls. Um, and it wasn't until my early teens that we hit a major crossroad in our lives. And my dad, who I adored, I looked up to, basically disclosed a, a completely secret life we didn't know about. And it totally devastated me. It devastated me, it devastated my mum, it devastated me and my sisters. And... I guess any compass that I had of what to trust, what to believe, was utterly, utterly smashed. And so in my world, I went in a bit of a spiral down. And uh, I suppose looking back now as an adult, I think God was, was putting me on a spiritual journey. But I remember even as a teenager thinking, I used to think, you know, life was pretty short. Um, I still sort of feel like that. Um, but I remember thinking, is this, is this all there is? And you know those moments, like, late at night, it's always like two in the morning, isn't it? When that gnawing ache came. And I, you know, I think I had quite a tough exterior. But internally, those moments by myself, I felt so empty. Just so alone and so broken. So I was a pretty messed up teenager, if I'm honest. And um, we uh, went through a really volatile time at home. Very up and down. um, Not great. And I suppose my lowest moment was um, I found my dad trying to commit suicide and I remember going to school the next day and thinking why am I even here why am I writing this I think it was a maths paper I had to do um, when such a major crisis is happening in my life and my mum got very ill she ended up in hospital everything was going on and I used to go and do my homework there after school and um, 
in the Church of England, we have these Church of England schools, and uh, when you get to about 14, 15, they, they ask you to basically affirm your, your Christian vows, and I thought, there is no way I'm doing that. I mean, Christians are really weak, and we're from like an all-strong female household by this point. And uh, so I remember going to hospital and saying to my mum, mum, I know I get great presents, but I'm not going to do it. They're hypocrites, they're weak, um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get confirmed. And my mum wasn't a Christian, but she, um, I don't know why she said it, but she just said, Sarah, won't you just do it for me? Won't you just go to church? And I was like, you know, when you're a teenager, you think, well, she's not going to make it. And I'd do anything for her, basically. So her great friend knew about this church called HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton. And she said, I think Sarah should go there. And I remember um, taking about an hour to decide, do I wear jeans? Do I not? You know, how am I going to go? And, and um, eventually I plucked up the courage. I really thought it was the last place on earth that I would ever find any answers to what I was looking at at the time. And um, I remember walking through the doors and um, really quite scared. But I remember the people I met. There were only a group of 30 of us. And what I walked into was a tiny alpha course. And it was one of the first alpha courses. There, there were only 30 of us. And I remember spending the whole time literally looking in people's eyes because they were twinkly. They had this kind of life in them. And I suppose I'd come from such a dark, difficult place that I just was like staring at them the whole time. <laughs> And, um, and I went, my sisters had got involved in the New Age movement, so they were leading the Mystic Society at Cambridge University. And so I went with all these questions, like, I've been really bad in my past life, so I know I've got to keep going, but um, I still feel quite empty. And they'd be like, who are you? Where are you from? And uh, I met Nikki Gumbel, um, Nikki and Silla Lee, if you know them. They've been our amazing leaders for, for many decades. And um, week after week, I'd ask these questions. And uh, I'd hear about Jesus. I'd hear about what I thought I knew about Christianity. And I have to say, yeah, I was desperate for the moment that they were ever going to ask me, was I going to give my life to Jesus? I was like, come on, when's it coming? And um, eventually it came. And I was like, yes. And um, I will never forget the first time I was prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was like this liquid love coming from the top of my head right down my body and I felt all the rubbish and the shame and the rejection and the pain it just was like gone and it was like a massive hug it was like God was saying welcome home and um, it it was an amazing moment and my dad uh, disappeared then for what ended up being years and and it hadn't been an easy journey but at that moment, I knew God as my father. I knew I'd come home. And basically, that's where I camped out for my teen years. I'm amazed. <laughs> Was that what you wanted? <laughs> Can I just rewind a bit? Yes. How old were you when you came home and just had that devastating experience of your father and then your mother in hospital? What age were you? I was 13. 13? Yeah, yeah. And going into hospital, doing your homework in hospital, how long, were you, how long was that going on for? That was about six months. Wow. Um, and do you know the amazing thing, Gare, is that um, I had this amazing experience of Jesus. Mm. And that this just 
incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. It was, for me, I know it's different for everybody, but for me, it was like night and day. I knew he transformed me. I knew, I knew he'd broken chains that night. I I could feel, and I went to school the next day and my friends were like, you look different. What's happened? Wow. You know, and and I think I was quite an aggressive teenager. And so some of them were quite scared of me. And, and um, I remember standing up saying, I gave my life to Jesus last night in my class. And this one girl came up and she burst into tears. She went, I'm terrified of you. She said, but I'm the only Christian in the class. um, Amazing. um, Yeah, yeah. So you went on the Alpha course and you kind of accepted Jesus that night or that that course was filled with the Spirit. Yeah. And how old were you at that point? Uh, 14. 14. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's keep going. Tell me that... (laughs) This is amazing. And, and so just continue the story of, of your SHTB then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and tell me then what, kind of what the next few years were like at yeah. school. Well, it was amazing. So effectively, I um, had, had this incredible encounter with Jesus and I hadn't felt hope. I mean, I hadn't slept properly for about mm. two years. Uh, it had been so traumatic at home. And um, then my dad had disappeared. And, and effectively, our whole lives changed. So... Mm. We had to move house. We couldn't all live together again. We had to change schools. We had no money. Um, And it was probably kind of practically devastating. But because I come to faith, it was like amazing at the same time. And um, my mum, I started to bring her to church. Three months later, she became Christian. Totally healed physically. Totally great. Um, My eldest two sisters thought I'd joined a cult. So their mission was to rescue me from the cult. Wow. So my mum and I just lied to them. But, I mean, we were, we were new Christians. You're allowed to do that. Yeah. And so we basically said to them, listen, this one wants to do the Alpha course, but they won't do it without you. So please. And we, we basically told them that. Amazing. So they both signed up for the Alpha course. Wow. And it wasn't until the Alpha weekend when they were like, I'm only here because of you. And they were like, no, I'm not. I'm here because of you. Amazing. And by then, they were got. Wow. And um, again, radical encounter with Jesus. They came to faith, and then my last sister was hanging out. She was like, what has happened to my family? And and, um, and that was quite hard for her, because things, as I said, circumstantially were a nightmare, Mm. but there was such joy in our house, because just Jesus was present, Mm. you know, and the worse things got, the more worship music we put on in the kitchen and danced around, and it was just, there was such a sense of God was our father and he was going to rescue us and be there for us. And so eventually my final sister came to church when um, someone called Jackie Pullinger, who worked in Hong Kong, was Mm. speaking. And it was one of those talks which Mm. could have been handwritten for her. Literally, you know, one of those, you're like, oh my goodness, it's like every word. And um, at the end of that, she became a Christian. So over sort of three years, my whole family came to know Jesus. So it was an incredible time. And um, I think I just lived at church. So I was, the, I was the teenager who did all the coffee, put out the chairs to every conference, went to everything. And during that time, um, we actually, I blame all you Californians. You really turned our lives upside down because this posse came from the Anaheim Vineyard, uh, led by none other than John Wimber. And they arrived at our church. And just to paint the picture, the church at the time, it was like pews, you know, like pews to sit on, robed choir, very traditional in the morning. And um, in came John Wimber, invited by our vicar. And uh, he was just like so relaxed. They all had baseball caps. 
they chewed gum. I mean, we were like, they're chewing gum. You know, this is, it was radical. And um, they were just so relaxed and easy. And, and we were all like, I remember Nicky Gumbel was in his pinstripe suit because he was still a lawyer. And, um, and it was amazing. We had this incredible meeting whereby John Wimber and his posse of friends um, came and they just did brilliant teaching. They were talking on the Holy Spirit. They were talking on... Um, Obviously, everything that we knew, we were all like, wow, it's amazing that you hovered over the waters, the Spirit, then throughout the Old Testament on individuals, and then the New Testament coming at Pentecost, and that we're now full of the Spirit, and that the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, and we were all like, yeah, fantastic. And, but then he went a bit further, and then he started talking about deliverance and how he'd seen people set free from demonic activity. He then started talking about physical healings. He then started talking about emotional healing, and we were all slightly more alarmed at this, um, but very Anglican and very good. We all said, yes, very, very good. Um, and then, I'll never forget, he said, we're going to have a coffee break, and after the coffee break, we're going to do the stuff. Can I tell you, we've never had such a long coffee break, ever. Everyone was so alarmed as to what was going to happen to do the stuff after the coffee break. And so after a long extended period, we all came back in. And, um, and he, just, he just said, right, we're going we're gonna to ask the Holy Spirit to do what he does. And uh, he explained about words of knowledge, how the Holy Spirit spoke to him and can speak to each of us in pictures or, uh, you know, you sense a pain somewhere in your body and somebody may have a leg issue or an arm issue. So he then, I'll never forget, he he then talked about um, somebody with a really bad back pain who'd had a car accident, was immobile, and, okay, we all looked around the room. There are only 30 people in this room, and everyone knew each other. And we were like, oh, don't think anyone's had a car accident. No, no, no. And then sure enough, Jeremy, who we all know, put his hand up and said, you know, I did, and I've had back pain for about 10 years. And so his team came around, prayed for Jeremy, laid their hands on, explained what they were doing, and the pain went. And we were like, wow. And then he said, and I think, I believe there's somebody here who can't conceive. At which point we were like, we are really British. I mean, you don't talk about anything close to sex unless you're Californian. And, and um, so we were like, oh, my word. And, and, of course, we were all thinking there's nobody because we all know everybody. And sure enough, one of this really brave woman, Sarah, stood up and said, that's me. My husband and I have been trying to conceive, and um, it's been a heartache and the team laid hands, prayed, and she now has four boys, four wow. sons. And, and it was just, it was an amazing moment, I think, for our church to see that, what, just the power of God. Mm. And to see it done in such a relaxed, unhyped, yeah, I mean, it couldn't have been more relaxed care. I mean, it was horizontally relaxed. Well, I think that's lots of people's experience, isn't it? They, they think that the Holy Spirit has to come with kind of loud noises and shouting and hype and big music, and yet you were the most reserved group in the world, probably, <laughs> and that would have turned you off. But yeah. what was it about this ministry of the Spirit which felt, I guess, like Jesus, a bit not scary but not diminishing the power? Yeah. I think, you know, for me, so I was... I remember um, 
I was in a Wimba conference because um, my mum then took me out of school for every single Wimba conference saying, you're going to learn more at the Wimba conference than at school. Wow. So we were at this Wimba conference about the next year. And um, I remember him having this word of knowledge for somebody with a cleft palate who had no palate in their mouth. And it was the man in front of me, literally standing, he put his hand up. And so we became the ministry team. Mm. So Wimber came with his, with his posse and then we had to join in. And when you've seen the power of God create a cleft palate within 45 minutes in somebody's mouth, wow. y- your life is never the same. Mm. And, you know, I literally, the poor guy, I was like, can you open your mouth? We were all like leaning in and saying, how's it going? How's it feeling? But the heat coming from him, I remember thinking, you can't move muscles in your mouth and in your face involuntarily in the way he was. His jaw was clicking and the heat emanating from the power of the Holy Spirit on that man. And I remember as a 16-year-old thinking, it's true. Yeah. You know, I read the Acts, I read the New Testament but it's true. Mm. Why, is, why wouldn't Jesus, why wouldn't the Holy Spirit do what he's always done? You know, whether it's hovering over the waters, creating order out of chaos, wow. whether it's coming at Pentecost and giving boldness to Peter, whether it's, you know, raising Lazarus from the dead. And I think for me, what the difference was is I saw it. Right. And it lifted my faith. Yeah. And in fact, so much so, it wasn't until I got to university that I, I just thought every church believed that. Wow. You know, we, we, I remember praying and we, we had um, this amazing woman who'd been paralyzed and she walked out the door and we all just wept and wept and wept. And um, just the power of God was really palpable. Mm. Um, but I think, I think John Wimber gave us, a, he gave us a theology, he gave us a model, and then he gave us a praxis. Mm. He said... You, it, 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 was, it wasn't sort of weird. It was naturally supernatural. And I kind of figure that's what Jesus is like. You know, when you think about him turning water into wine. I mean, something he didn't have to do that. What an amazing miracle. Um, so it was, it was a game changer for us as a church. And for me, mm. as, as a teenager, it was, it was life changing. So this church, which was quite formal in many ways. Yeah. Uh, pews and organ and and then suddenly this Californian comes in and the power of the Holy Spirit is now seen and experienced. How did that change the church? Well, you know, I think I think the Spirit was doing something across the UK. It was bringing a renewal um, to what was quite dry bones. Mm. Um, you know, the Church of England isn't known for our kind of um, entrepreneurism or agility or fast-moving nature. And I think there was such a hunger. There was a hunger in our leadership. Sandy Miller and Nikki Gumbel led with just extraordinary faith, actually. And we saw, you know, outpourings of the Spirit in different churches, Jolly Wood. And, and I think it was a, a sense of um, really renewal in, in our kind of, in our institution. Um, so our church went from, you know, pews and um, robe choir and kind of robes to suddenly like worship band and chairs. And, um, and I just think the leadership were extraordinary. They really went with it. They got a lot of flack for it, mm. but they just saw life mm. and they saw young people coming into the church. And, you know, when people's lives are transformed, it's so attractive mm. and you couldn't stop people talking about it. You know, I mean, that's what I love about the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, she, you can't, you couldn't shut her up. She was going to go and tell the whole of Samaria about Jesus. And it was very much the same because right. the power of God is transformational. 
So it did. It changed our church. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I remember we were in a meeting again. And Nicky Gumbel, who was then a lawyer in his three-piece suit, um, very, Nicky's really quite shy. Um, he's an introvert and doesn't like drawing attention to himself. And, and he was prayed for. In the, well, actually, I don't even think he was prayed for. I think just the power of God fell on him. In our, in our church hall, and he was really noisy. He was making so much noise uh, to the point where John Wimber was like, can someone just carry that young man out the door? He's, he's very distracting, and I believe God is anointing him with evangelism. Wow. And looking back those decades, mm. you know, Alpha was a group of 30, and now 30 million around the world have done it. And I I believe it's a move of God. It's something of the spirit. And I think it was birthed in those years of our leaders, like you and amazing leaders you've got, saying it's not just about the word. Right. We need the word. You know, it's that classic thing, all word and we dry up, all spirit, we blow up, word and spirit, and we grow up. You know, that's what, it's the spirit that enables us to live this life. Mm. You know, it's the power to be able to, you know, combat sin, to kick addiction, to be able to love those who've hurt us. It's, mm. it's the very power to be able to speak to people in a way that they understand who Jesus is. And, um, and I think it just ignited mm. our church. Um, and we see that, of course, with Alpha, don't we? We see this amazing word. Who is Jesus? Why did he die? Yeah. How to have faith? And it's so important to lay the theological foundation to, to show people how amazing Jesus is. But then the weekend comes along and we talk about the Spirit. And why is the weekend and the Holy Spirit weekend on Alpha so important? Yeah, uh, I think it's exactly the same thing. I think, you know, I think a lot of people are probably like me. They think they know enough about Christianity. They've just been inoculated enough against it, you know, growing up. I don't know what it's like here, but it is in the UK. And, um, and then suddenly, and also I think we just live on a very one-dimensional level. So Tom and I lived in Africa for a bit, and there was no question of the supernatural. It was so obvious everybody knew it was there. But you get back to the Western world, and it's suddenly like, oh, we live in just, it's just the rational and I think on Alpha, you rationally are, are learning who Jesus is, you're, 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 you're taking information, but it's not till the weekend, a bit like that John Wimber moment, let's do the stuff, right. that suddenly it's like, oh my word, that there is a spiritual dimension. Right. I've got a choice here yeah. to encounter Jesus. I've got a choice to actually invite him and let him transform my life. Hmm. Um, and, and I mean, I love those Alpha weekends. They, because you see God do what only he can do. And um, I don't know, I just, the, the older I get and the more I see this, the, the needs and the, I mean, certainly in the UK, the tsunami of needs, mental health crisis, just the devastation young people are going through. You're like, it's only the spirit of God mm. who can transform to that depth and that level. Oh, man. A few years later, um, something... Uh, called the Toronto Blessing, kind of uh, came out of Toronto, this church, a vineyard church as it was then, experienced an outpouring of the Spirit, and it seemed to go from church to church. And in many ways, it was, people were concerned by it in many ways, but I remember HDB um, stewarded that so well without losing focus on Christ, Mm. and stewarded it with wisdom, and yet embraced the move of the Spirit in such a way, again, just transformed the church. I remember coming to HB around then, and it was, 
after every service, move the chairs aside. <laughs> yeah. We're going to welcome the Spirit and see what God does. And just tell us a bit about those days. Yeah, those days. That was 1994. And um, we'd heard that this vineyard church in Toronto um, uh, had just really experienced this outpouring of the Spirit in an extraordinary way. A bit like the Asbury has been, you've heard a little bit about that um, here. And we were all really kind of interested. We were thinking, what, what's going on? And one of our great friends in ministry called Ellie Mumford had been out there and she'd been prayed for um, by the leaders. And she came back to the UK and had met with Nicky Gumbel, our leader, and prayed for him. And, and our very small staff were having a meeting. And uh, Nicky popped in. He was going to go and see some archdeacon or someone in the Church of England. And so he couldn't stay long. So he just popped into the staff meeting, was just about to leave. And um, uh, one of the staff said, oh, Nicky, won't you pray for us? Because you've just been with Ellie Mumford, who's been, you know, out in Toronto. So literally, Nicky did this very fleeting prayer, half out the door, sort of saying, you know, come Holy Spirit, bless you all today, um, you know, amen, and left. He didn't even turn around. If he'd turned around, he might have seen the entirety of his staff hit the floor. And for three hours, the staff were on the floor. Glenda, who was, um, uh, she was, she was the PA to one of our pastors, was trying to crawl towards the telephone to phone to say, I think you need to come back. Uh, eventually, she got to the telephone. We didn't have mobiles then. And um, she phoned Sandy Miller and said, Sandy, um, I think you need to come. And he said, oh, what is it, Glenda? I'm sure you can, you can deal with it. And she said, well, um, Sandy, I don't know how to put this. Um, we're all on the floor, and um, she said, I think, it's, I think it's the glory of God. And, and, and at which point, Sandy hot-footed it back to the staff. And it, that's how it started for us at HTB. And then on the Sunday, just like a gathering like this, we invited Ellie Mumford, and she just prayed. Like, you pray that age-old prayer, come Holy Spirit. And it was an extraordinary time of... Um, for me, and I can only speak personally, and uh, of a sense of holiness, of the glory of God, it, it felt like you wanted to hit the floor, you wanted to put your face, plant your face, because his presence and his holiness and w- was so strong. Um, there were other crazy manifestations, you know, people were sort of mooing and clucking and running around the room, and, um, and all I can say is... Um, we had amazing leadership who we felt safe with, mm. who said, listen, I don't know what the clucking is. I don't know what the... But the Old Testament shows some pretty odd behavior, if you look. And, you know, the Holy Spirit can speak through a donkey, so why can't he do this? Um, but the fruit of it was what we knew we'd measure. Mm. And actually, if I track back to 1994 and those that I saw powerfully moved by the Spirit and consecrate and reconsecrate their lives, out of that... That was the real accelerator for Alpha to go global. It was the accelerator, really, for church planting. It was the accelerator for social transformation. And really, those who were involved at that time, it was a stirring of, in our generation then, was, God, we just, we want to see these nations one for you. Mm. We want to lay down our lives. We want to see transformation. And um, so I believe it was a refreshing of the church, um, I wouldn't say it was revival, but 
but it was refreshing the church. And I think the fruit has been extraordinary since then. Yeah, what was, I mean, as I would see it, HTB had such a, an equipping, a refreshing, and looking out from a distance, you then see the amazing fruit, as you're saying, of the church being equipped and refreshed to minister through Alpha, church planting, conferences around the world. Tell us a bit about what you feel the Holy Spirit is now doing, both in your church, in you, and you and Tom, but the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not just the receiving, but it's also the giving out. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I think it's been an extraordinary season. So like you, uh, it's been the toughest. I mean, the pandemic, the, the just... It couldn't have been harder, I think, circumstantially. But I, when I tracked just back before that, it felt like the Holy Spirit had prepared us to start kind of train tracks, to send things down train tracks. And so um, 2016, um, I was in a different role. Um, and um, we had just like so many headlines in our newspaper about the church in crisis. Um, there'll be no more Church of England in 30 years. No young people are coming to church. Uh, the church is irrelevant. There are more people who you know, support the Royal Society for the protection of the birds than there are churchgoers. You know, it was really depressing. And it's actually true, um, which is even more depressing. And out of that, Nikki Gumbel asked me to do a mapping of the UK to look at you know, where was their life? Where was it true? Were young people really not coming? Were we really a declining, going to be like a small, you know, minority group that people think is like the, you know, the cricket club? Um, and I looked at, he asked me to do four things. He said, I want you to look at what is going on in the UK. What have we got to offer as a church? Have we got anything to offer? Uh, what is the model? What does it look like if we do? How much does it cost? And how quickly could we reverse the decline of the church in our lifetime? And when I started mapping this, I had a month to do it. And it was the most equally depressing month as stirring of the spirit month. <laughs> and I'd be up till late at night looking at numbers, looking at different denominations and thinking, really on our watch is our nation going to go down the tubes? Are we really going to lose a whole generation who don't know Jesus? And um, out of it, we started to look at what we could offer. And that's when, you know, Tim Keller, we talked about him yesterday, but um, what a great man. You know, he showed so clearly that the fastest way to reach people in any nation is to plant a church. You can revitalize a church. It's a bit slower, a bit longer. But if you plant churches, that is where you're putting a stake in the ground. You were saying there is hope. There is transformation that's possible. So we looked at saying, okay, could we plant as many churches as possible in every city, in every town, in every village, in every project? Um, in order to do that, we're going to have to raise up a whole pipeline of leaders. In order to do that, we needed to train them. Um, our seminary um, set up in the UK, I don't know what it's like here, it's probably brilliant here. I know you've got Fuller, which is great. But ours would be like, we'd send our amazing leaders off to theological college. And if I'm honest, three years later, you'd be like, what on earth has happened to you? It's like, where's the fire gone? What do you mean? You don't know who wrote that book of the Bible. I mean, it would be like they'd been deconstructed wow. and they'd lost the fire and it'd take them like another three years to get back to there. So anyway... Nikki Gumbel being Nikki Gumbel, we started our own theological college and um, St. Melitus, which many here I think have been through, and uh, Ben, St. Melitus, and um, I feel that was something of the Spirit. Hmm. The Spirit was leading us to start something, to start intentionally training young men and women 
to be on fire with God, to be academically brilliant, but to be so um, spirit-led and to, to expect the supernatural. And um, alongside that, we started the, the Church Revitalization Trust, which I have the privilege of being part of. And all I can say, Gare, is when we did our first business plan, as it was, we thought, wouldn't it be really daring if we could plant three churches a year? And then every three years, because of the leadership pipeline, they could plant three churches. And when we plotted that graph, we realized that we could start to reverse the decline within 12 years. All I'll say is we've, God has gone, and the Holy Spirit, when you're asking what the Spirit is doing, he has outstripped that. We've planted 160. We're on track to plant 500 by 2030. And it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sarah, um, you're the chief executive of one of the largest church planting movements in the world. <laughs> You're amazing. I don't know. I don't know that. And, I, I, and what's exciting, not only are you an inspiration in your leadership, as a woman in leadership, we so value, uh, but also in your humility to say is all the Holy Spirit. All the way back to being a teenager, rescuing you, plucking you out of the darkness and your family and setting you on this trajectory. And you're, if I, I know you and Tom well, and you're constantly going, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, Holy Spirit. And I wonder if you could do us a favor. As a church, could you lead us in a time of just saying, come, Holy Spirit? Oh, be such a privilege. Thank you, Gail. We'd Tom, love could to. you come up and then let's all stand and Sarah and Tom can lead us in a time. Let's say thank you to Sarah for being here this evening.